our text this morning is Mark chapter 9. I was thinking about a, a senator. A senator is going into a very, very uh, busy but, but very expensive restaurant in Washington, D.C. And there and on the table, they brought out a very fine basket of hot bread. And the senator sat down and he was about to enjoy the hot bread. There were several at the table and there wasn't quite enough butter for everybody to get butter to put on their bread. And so as the, the dish came around, it made it to him, and it was an empty plate of butter. His staffers and all those who'd gathered, uh, they took the butter, and he didn't have it. He spoke to the waiter. He said, we need some more butter at the table. He said, I'll be right with you. And he went on about. I said it was a very busy time in the restaurant. And he, a few minutes later, said, excuse me, we need some more butter here now. Yes, sir, I'll be right with you. And the waiter just was not able to get around to doing so. Going to the kitchen, getting it set on a plate, bringing it out and presenting it as his training dictated. And so finally, the senator could stand it no more. And he raised his voice in the middle of this very classy but very busy restaurant. He says, I don't think you know who I am. He says, do you know how many times I have been elected by the good people of, and he mentioned the state he was from, the good people of this state send me here to Washington to do their business. And all I've asked of you is a very simple thing. I need more butter. I don't think you know who's asking you. The waiter looked at him and he smiled. I don't know if he was trained in how to deal with irate politicians, but he dealt with them well. He smiled at him. He said, sir, I don't think you know who I am. And the senator says, well, just who are you? Senator, I'm the man in charge of the butter. <laughs> God's Word has no shortage of speaking to us about the dangers and the ills of thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. That we, we all tend to, to migrate towards the more prominent seats, towards those positions of safe recognition, uh, opportunities uh, to be uh, spoken highly of. Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. The they that they speak of is the apostles and Jesus. They went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he, Jesus, did not want anyone to know that he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing along the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last and the servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And then taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Heavenly Father, bless this, your word, to our hearts and our lives. We thank you for the enduring power of your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you had to pick that truest mark of what calls out, what marks out a follower of Jesus, what would it be? What does a Christian look like? <laughs> if I were to judge based on the literature of the, the, the stacks of catalogs that I get in the mail... Uh, the books I see in the Christian bookstore, the articles I read on the internet, the vast, vast array of television and online teaching, people might say that the true mark of being a follower of Christ is to be a, an eloquent evangelist or teacher. 
to be wealthy and successful. You know, the mark of a Christian is somebody, you look at them and say, they're just a happy family man. Or perhaps occasionally we might in Presbyterian circles to be a, a true Christian is to be a very astute, a smart theologian. I ask you, what shape does the new life in Christ take? What does it look like? The disciples here, they are now in Capernaum, is on the north coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's where Jesus would regularly uh, come to. Uh, he often went there. You go to the synagogue. And here, they are likely, this is not specified in the text, but it says they went to the house. Likely, they were in Peter's house. They were having some, some downtime there, certainly tired after all that had been going on. You think about what has just taken place. We saw the, the splendor and the wonder of the transfiguration. We saw the chaos down at the foot of the mountain of the, the boy who was possessed of the demon, and, and Christ cast him out. We think of all they've been going through, all the traveling, and they've come to a place now. And they're talking to each other. They're resting, and Jesus looks at them, and he asks them a question. He asks them questions a lot. What were you talking about back there along the way? I have every confidence that our Savior knew what they were talking about. But he was, he was drawing it out of them, asking them to recall what was the subject of their bickering and discussion along the way. You can imagine the scene, and they had been walking along, and Jesus perhaps just standing off just a little bit, paying attention, allowing them to engage in their frenetic conversation and keeping silent. But now, as he asked them in this quiet time, I have to think they were ashamed. They really didn't want to know, let Jesus know what they'd been talking about. They were talking about this regular theme. Who's the greatest? How do they rank as the twelve? James and John, they're going to revisit this. They're not going to learn even in this lesson in Mark chapter 10. James and John then are coming to Jesus and they're saying, we want you to do for us what we ask. Jesus says, well, what would that be? And he says, well, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on your left and your right hand. I want to be right here and I want my brother right there. We want to have the positions of prominence in your kingdom. They want to be number one among the twelve. But Jesus here says, no. If anyone would be first, he must be last. He must be the servant of all. That is the key, Mark. That is the shape in which Christians are more and more formed. It's the mark of Christ Himself. Our Savior said, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. A disciple of Jesus Christ must be a servant. A servant, first and foremost, that our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price. We have been paid for. We have been set free in Christ and set free to do what? Give our life as our Savior gave His. A Christian is a servant. We hear this in the words of John the Baptist. Even before all this unfolds in the life of Jesus, he got it, he understood. In John 3.30, John the Baptist was explaining about his role in the coming of the kingdom. He says, He, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. It's that the Son would set on whatever opportunity God has given me to proclaim His kingdom, that the Son would rise on Jesus Christ, that the focus and the attention would be upon Him. We hear that in Paul. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, he says we must consider others as more important than ourselves. And in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, and I am rejoicing in that because I am the worst of them. I'm the vilest. Put me at the bottom of the list. For as I know my sin more and more, it grieves me, it disgusts me. I want to turn from it. Two lessons I want you to take with you this morning. Two lessons from this particular text. And first is that a follower of Jesus Christ is a servant. 
that we would have that servant's heart, that we would have a servant's attitude, that we would take a servant's place. A Christian embraces the call to serve. A Christian is fine being a nobody as far as the world's concerned, a nobody. Think about visiting in cemeteries and you see the epitaphs there upon the headstones and statements, devoted father, loving husband, caring mother, these types of things written on there. But the significance of the life is simply the date and the date with the dash in between. And the dash is simply the summation of the years that the Lord has given you here. And suddenly it's encrusted on stone to fade, even crumble one day. I don't mean to depress, but I, I mean to tell you that, that, that we have been called to, as far as the world is concerned, to be nobodies. To be of little reputation, for that was the path of our Savior. He had just began talk, he had just been talking about that and will continue talking about the path that he would follow. We've been called to wash feet, even when others around are avoiding making eye contact, lest they be the ones that gets chosen for that nasty job that we would be quick to say, let me, let me give of my time, my energy. Yes, I'm tired. Yes, yes, I am, am needing some, uh, some encouragement myself, but let me, let me encourage another. Philippians 2, I just mentioned, Paul says this. He says, have this mind in you. This mind that was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself, he made himself of no reputation. Do you hear that? He made himself, in the eyes of this world, a nobody. The one who spoke creation into existence took the lowliest place among us out of love for us. He bore the towel as a servant and he bore the stripes as the one who would give his life for our sin. A Christian embraces and cherishes his position as a nobody in this world. To be unremembered and uncelebrated by this world, it is enough, my friends, it is enough to know that our Father in Heaven smiles. It is enough that our Father in Heaven, He sees. Let those who treasure the world, let those who seek the greatness of this life enjoy it now. Let many who, who would seek to, to fill their heart full of this world, let them enjoy it now. For there will be a day when horror will ring for eternity. When the very voice of Jesus will look at them and say, Depart from me, for I never knew you. Yes, the world knew you. Yes, your name was up in lights. But the words from our Savior's mouth is, I, the world can consider me a nobody. The world can consider you a nobody, but it is the treasure of eternity that our Father in heaven knows who we are. And He knows who we are because He has brought us into us the most perfect and expensive and amazing gift that could ever be given. The gift of His Son, our Savior. So yes, first, a, a Christian, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ is a servant, embraces and cherishes his position in this world as a nobody, but secondly, and secondly, the, the point that Jesus is making with a little child, secondly, Christian nobodies pay attention to nobodies. Christian nobodies love as Jesus loves. Who did Jesus give His time and attention to as He walked just for those three years? How did Jesus fill that dash in His life? As we see particularly those three years of ministry, to whom did He give His time and attention to? Did He seek out the great philosophers of Greece? Did He seek out the emperors of Rome saying, hey, if I can just win them over, imagine the influence that they'll have. 
There are ministries that establish themselves upon the foundation of saying, we want to get out and evangelize the rich and the powerful because they will have a bigger impact on society than the weak and the lowly. They need saving too. Praise God that people take the gospel to everybody, whether they be in the palace or whether they be in the hovel. But we need to see this, that it would not be through the prestige and the notoriety of this world that heaven is served, but the power of God working in one nobody, speaking to another nobody about the somebody that they are in Christ. Jesus came to the weary and the heavy laden. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to Mary Magdalene, from whom He cast out seven devils. He came to the Oh, the woman of Samaria with her string of husbands and even the one now that's not her husband. He came for that little man in so many ways, little Zacchaeus, little in stature, ignored, overlooked literally as people would walk by, but despised for his role as a tax collector. He came for Peter, a Peter who seemed to always have the wrong words for the right occasion. He came for lepers. He came for outcasts. He came for a terrorist justly being put to death for brutal soldiers and zealous nationalists. These are the people that Jesus came to serve nobodies in the eyes of this world. And so to get the point across, Jesus took this little child and He put them right there in front of the disciples. And imagine their shame as they were sitting there thinking, well, I am obviously, I'm obviously the leader of the twelve. Of the twelve that are closest with Jesus, obviously I stand head and shoulders above the others. I will be the one at His right hand. You can be at His left hand. We'll take the positions of prominence. And Jesus places a little child, children who on another occasion they would shoo away from Jesus saying, don't bother the Master. Put a child in the midst and He even took him into His arms and He says, you need to understand this, if you receive the little ones, not just children, but those who have little value in the eyes of the world. When you receive them, you receive me. Inasmuch as you give a cup of cold water, you give a meal. Inasmuch as you give hospitality, a place to sleep and clothes to wear to the least of them, so you do unto Jesus. And He said, as you do it unto me, you do it unto my Father who sent me. For what you do, nobody's has eternal value because you are serving. My reminder to you has been so often to look up that you would look up and see nobodies and to care, to care for them. Saying, Lord, create in me a love for these people around me. May I love them because you love me. May, may I see them in the way that you see me with compassion with a desire for their good, for their blessing. Lord, help me to see the nobodies, for you saw this nobody. Help me to care. You want to know what true greatness looks like? True greatness, Jesus says, is to be one who gives and gives and gives and doesn't expect a reward, doesn't expect anything in way of return, but to know that the well-done, good and faithful servant of His heavenly Father one day is sufficient. It's not making myself known. It's not making yourself known that has eternal worth. It's making Jesus known that we would look forward to hearing and seeing the smile of our Father and hearing, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter now into your Father's rest. We need to be those who love the unlovable, who serve the difficult, and who care about the nobodies. Now, to what end is this? Jesus is is speaking in this way. It says right before this, He was teaching them about the fact that he would be delivered into the hands of men 
and they would kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he'll rise. He's, he's speaking about the path of a nobody that's in front of them, right? The path of a nobody that's in front of Jesus, the one who would die a scandalous death, the one who would bleed and, and, and be marred beyond all recognition. Scandalous, humiliating, but why? He did it because he loved. He loved perfectly. He loved eternally. Christians, Christians, this is true Christian greatness, to be a servant to all. And so then by implication, what would a great church be? What would a great church be? It'd be one whose pews are full of nobodies. And every pew that we would see the nobodies of this world, but nobodies who are loved by the nobody sitting next to them. And nobodies who rejoiced with scandalously loud praise and saying, praise God that He loves me, that I am not a nobody to Him, that my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life, that I praise God for knowing me. I praise God for paying attention to me. I praise God for loving me, an unlovable nobody. That's the gospel, friends. And it's that little child in the midst of the apostles that remember, this, this is who we are. And this is who we are. For we follow in the pattern of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Almighty God, we do thank you that you are the one who took the path of scandal, the one that took the path of humiliation, that we might know eternal glory. Forgive us, Lord God, for seeking the fame and the acclaim of this world. But Lord, help us to seek only your favor, to serve only for your glory. Help us to count ourselves as nothing for the sake of knowing you and loving and proclaiming you. Father, may we take this message to the nations. May we make them glad to know that Jesus knows them and loves them and has died that they would be, may it all be to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.